Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. Once again, we've pulled from the archives a recording of Dharma Dialogues, and we've remastered it from a previous media format. This session occurred in September of 2002, 20 years ago, in Santa Monica, California. And once again, it is a timely, timeless conversation as our world is on the brink of war. This podcast is called Hope and Fear. On another note, we have two more sessions coming up in the Mornington area near Melbourne, the last Sundays of October and November 2022. We'll be holding additional sessions starting in February in the Mornington area, which will be posted on our website, katherineingram.com. So often our thoughts are vacillating between hope and fear. We hope for more pleasure or even some pleasure. <laughs> and we, we dread the absence of that pleasure or the loss of it. And worse, we dread its true opposite, having instead very painful situations, loss, grief, disrepute, and so on. And our thoughts are moving on these poles of hope and fear much of the time. This could be a, an evolutionary necessity for a long, long time, perhaps, that the human animal... You know, I've read a lot of, as many of you know, a lot of evolutionary psychology, and it turns out that nature really doesn't have a lot of use for our happiness and contentment because we would be too complacent. So, in a way, we have been programmed genetically to crave and to avoid painful situations, and that is appropriate on that level. I propose and I experience another evolutionary motion, another movement, which is the recognition of the still point of presence that is actually our deepest felt sense, our deepest experience of life. And in this still point, there's such a deep peace There's so much love, and it's not a love that's dependent on anything that it has to find outside, although those things may be fine and well and good, but it's a love that is innate in itself, in this still point, in this presence, in this deep, relaxed beingness. And I think that if we're to have a next phase as human beings, we're going to have to move into that more and more. Because the trajectory that we're on and with the dangers of our world is, is untenable, unworkable on a long, sustainable way. And maybe it's our wake-up call for the planet. And maybe we'll have to see some great destructions before people really get the message. But in the meantime, it's not necessary for us to live in that, in that fear or in the extreme hope, but to live really... Rooted, as I said last week, sit on your mountain seat of freedom and don't budge. Let the world go by and watch it. And you'll be, you can't help but be compassionate. You don't have to think you're interconnected. You are interconnected, inevitably. So you will feel it. But stay on your mountain seat. Stay in this deep presence Walk in freedom no matter what is happening. Be willing to bear witness. But from your still point, not from your stories of hope and fear. 
what I've been reading recently would infer that uh, all of us are at that still point many, many times every day, uh, maybe even hundreds of times. When you see a flower, when you see a tree that strikes you, first glance at a star or moon, whatever. And, and then from what I'm reading, my understanding is that my personality all of a sudden pops up. And whatever qualities or characteristics I have come to the fore. And, and that's when I lose it. And that if that's so, there's enormous value in studying my own qualities and characteristics so that I recognize them as a thing that is stopping me from being that silent. Okay, but there is no need to think that the arising of personality or particular thoughts would negate your true experience of this deep presence through which that arising is occurring, and it's completely appropriate. The personality, the thoughts, the very specific daveness of you is most welcome. It's the expression of the one in the many. So, of course, it's, it's exactly as it should be. But that does not prohibit you from knowing that which is not the personality, is not the thought. In fact, it's never uttered a word. But when the judgment comes in, isn't that when I Judgment is welcome also. It, it dissolves. Everything goes. <laughs> not one thought, not one judgment has stayed. Not one manifestation of what you're calling personality. In fact, nothing has stayed. Not one motion of mind has stuck. But it is coming and going in an awareness I'm aware that the judgments, for example, don't affect the stillness, but they seem to distract my attention from the stillness. So, as you've heard me say, fall in love with the stillness. Fall in love with the taste of this peace, of this presence. Fall in love with that and love it more than any other entertainment of mind. A lot of times we're entertained by our judgments. We're attracted to them for some strange reason. You know, as my friend Eckhart Tolle speaks about, it's the way that, you know, the pain body is just keeping itself going. It's pain attracted to pain, like misery loves company. So there's a way in which we have to be watchful of our, our interest in our negative context of mind. We have to be watchful of that, vigilant. And notice how it feels, that's all. Notice how it feels. Don't beat yourself up for having those thoughts. You're not doing it. They're just coming on their own. But let this awareness notice the feeling of them. And notice the feeling of staying on the mountain seat, not chasing those thoughts and letting them just drift by as they do. I have said so many times, and I think people don't either hear it or they don't believe me, <laughs> that <laughs> you do not have to purify the content of your mind, thank God. You don't have to purify it. It may stay depraved. It may stay yucky. It may just be that's your conditioning. But that does not mean you will not taste freedom. I've told this story many times, but for those who are new and haven't heard it, we each come in and we are kind of handed a certain set of conditionings. We're conditioned by, by genetics, by our, our parental nurture, by our culture, by our peers, our friends, our relationships, and so on. And the, and the happenstance that occurs in life that will condition us. So certain thoughts will be triggered as a result. I have a friend who was lucky to have had just lovely conditioning. She had a, a Unitarian minister for a mother who had six kids who she just empowered from the time they were children. She just told them they were fabulous, they could do anything they ever wanted. And she has a very, very positive attitude about life. So one day we're out to lunch. 
And the waiter comes over and he says, the special today is salmon burgers. So he walks away. And I say to her, well, I know what I'm not having. I'm not having the salmon burgers. And she said, why? And I said, well, because probably it's just some old salmon they have laying around, and they've turned it into salmon burgers, and now, and now they're calling it the special. That's my interpretation based on my, my conditioning. <laughs> you know, I, I sort of expect the worst. And she, so she says, gosh, you know, I thought, you know, because it's the special, it's the best thing they have. <laughs> Now, I don't know who was right, but, but you could just see the, the conditioning at work, right? Now, I don't care that, that's, that that kind of conditioning comes up. It's, it's, it's born of a tremendous amount of, of life program that has occurred to this Catherine character, a long list of miseries. It doesn't matter, because I know this freedom this fundamental presence that is not touched by that conditioning, by the sorrow, by the losses, by the grief, by any of it. And more and more, that's where my attention rests. So judgment, welcome, no problem. Envy, anger, Irritation, lament, welcome. I think this is uh, related to what you just said in his question. My understanding of what you've been saying then is that uh, when realization of one's true nature takes place or is, then one no longer identifies with the little self or the me and the personality and all those things, even though they may continue to play out. But one no longer identifies one's truth and oneself. Another way to say it, because sometimes if we say we don't identify with, people will get into a kind of dissociation. Oh, okay. So another way way to say it is that you... You don't have as much interest in the useless thoughts. And a lot of the thoughts about the me story are completely useless. And worse than useless, a lot of them you know, make us agitated and at, and at the end uh, result sick. You know? So you, there's just a kind of growing disinterest in these thoughts about me, me, and what do I like, and what do I think, and what do I hope, and what do I fear, and my opinions. and So these thoughts keep coming. It's not a problem that they do. And whatever functional thoughts that are coming around that story are very appropriate and useful, no problem. But there's a great disinterest in the neurotic material And you do not have to untie and undo all that material. It's impossible. Or at least I don't know anyone who has. (laughs) My teacher used to liken it to, to digging in a graveyard of old smelly bones, you know, and needing to, like, pick up, you know, a new one and smell it and go, oh, and then you find another one and you smell that and it's horrible and just keeping on digging in the old graveyard of the bones of our neurosis. Now, it's not to say that one should deny awareness of the neurosis, of course, but it's just to not be that compelled by it, not be that interested. So it becomes more and more, what happens is the chatter of mind recedes in volume. It used to be, it's just loud all the time, you know, just listening to every thought and feeling obliged to care about your thoughts and to care about all those stories about me, that most important central character, right? The center of the universe. It's about me. I need to listen to this. (laughs) But, But that habit changes. And pretty soon, you're just not... 
You're not focused on those thoughts when they arise. They, can, they continue to rise. It's not a problem. But the volume is turned way down because it's as though you're in the arms of your beloved and you just can't be bothered with the noise out on the street or the garbage men dumping the thing. or You've got something else you're paying attention to. I think that's beautifully put, and it's very useful what you just said, because when I use the term identification, it really runs the risk of staying in your head and deciding yeah. you're not going to identify with that's something right. anymore, and therefore nothing has really changed. And it also runs the risk of feeling that you've got to do something extra to get more disidentified. You know, I've said many times, you've heard me now, as this short time you've been coming, this is so relaxed. This is like slipping into the ease of your own self, which you're very familiar with. And you just slip in. It's no big deal. It's no attainment. Nothing you have to find or build up or study, practice. It's just falling into that which is already here and occurring and always was. I think your insight and your use of language in a very specific way is really timely for the 21st century because I've read a lot of ancient books and a lot of the ones that, you know, Nezergardada, all these people. But you have a way of talking to, at least in my experience, like you just did, the mind of today and getting us out of the traps that we usually fall into in order to try to, to wake up or to whatever. And I'm really looking forward to your book because I'm sure that a lot of this is in the book and it will be something different in the sense that it will be much more clarifying, I think, than a lot of the... It's the same wisdom, but it's put in a way that I think is going to be much, much more useful. Mm. Looking forward to that. Mm. Thank you. This beautiful still point... Um, it feels like a reflection of, of something greater. Yes, yes, that's nice. And then the conscious uh, conditioning comes in and, and wants to know prior to. Yes. Prior to consciousness. Uh, yes. Do you yes. have anything to say on that? <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> no, me neither. No, me neither. No. It's the mystery. But yes, the, the conditioned mind and the, the curious monkey mind, you know, Wants to know, wants to know how it all works and where it all came from, and you know, and and that's natural enough. But finally, your your questions will dissolve in the silence, even though they may continue to arise. They continue to dissolve. It's a hard question to hold on to. It just it does yes, dissolve. Yes, There's it does. There. There's nothing there, and it just gets stunned into silence. There seems to be there's an there is experience, but no experiencer. It seems. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Very good. It's good to see you again. You too. Have you been up in Victoria? Uh, just in Malibu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trying to get here every week. So I know you have a background, or way background from Vipassana. And, yeah. and, and I have, um, I guess my question is about when you're talking about the, the silence and the stillness, and um, from doing the Vipassana practice for a while, I got into the, the habit of uh, noting. Yes, <laughs> so yes. I'll get quiet, and I'll feel really calm and still, and I think, aha, this is it. And then I'll get, like, thinking, and I'll, I'll constantly come back to those, those, that noting practice. And, yes. And then I guess my question is, is that the place that you're speaking about, it's, it's the place kind of, Beyond the noting, or I, I don't know how to get rid of the noting practice. I think the noting will fall away based on my own experience. She's speaking about in Vipassana Buddhist practice. Part of the training is that there's a noting of mental and physical experience so that 
As thought arises, you note thinking. As taste arises, you note tasting. As sensation arises, you note itching or pain or, you know, tingling or whatever. So there's a, a constant process of the, of the witnessing and a labeling that is going on. And it's been my experience, I have to say, that that noting habit fell away. So then there's just truly the direct experience of taste. And there's not another layer saying tasting. There's just only the tasting. And it's occurring in this, in this luminosity of awareness. Do you follow that? So that you're not one step removed from your experience. I guess my question is, how does it fall away? Like, how, how can I encourage it to fall away? <laughs> I mean, it's not really a problem either to have it be there as long as it is. But I think that because there's been a practice, that there's been a habit. And when there's no longer that practice, this habit may diminish. But don't worry if it doesn't. In my own case, it did. In fact, it, it, it dissolved the whole... I mean, I had practiced Vipassana for 17 years when I met Punjaji. And after being with him a week, it had gone, <laughs> along with everything else. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> and in its place, <laughs> Nina, my... Dear, dear friend is here tonight from the Bay Area and was one of the first people to write me from, from where my teacher lived in, in India saying, you must meet this person, you have to come. <laughs> in its place, this vibrancy of, of life, of direct experience, of really tasting and with full enjoyment the orange or the cashew <laughs> or the bitter fruit. I, I love Vipassana and yes. I feel very comfortable in it, but I'm so drawn to what you're saying and I, I feel like I, I don't know how to get from here to there. Well, don't make it a, um, don't make it a duality. It, it's just here, it's all just here, and that noting that's arising is no problem. It's just like any other process of mind. Don't worry about it. It's really fine. If it falls away, also. No problem. People should have such a problem. (laughs) That's noting. Noting can sometimes be useful. Hi. Um, for many years, I did um, some work. I, I guess they would like even call it the work. It's Werner Erhard uh-huh. stuff. And uh, you get really trained in how to alter things. But it's all based on, to me, it seems like it's all based on glimpses of this. Just like I was catching Deepak Chopra. You know, and it just seems all short. And and I can't use this stuff anymore. You know, I can't, I have all these tools available and I simply won't use them. And, and yet it feels like my life starts disintegrating this way. I mean, it starts falling apart because I'm not using tools to keep it up. So is this just something that one will go through? I feel like it's a limbo. It's like this long limbo period of where... The thoughts come up of dislike of some character of self. Those thoughts will come up. Yes. But I, I just see the futility, and I, I just too tired and to go and reach for these tools yes. to go and fix my life. Yes. Tired of fixing my life. Good. So yes, this is the la- this is the lazy way. This yeah, is the lazy, yeah, lazy path. That's descriptive. Yes, it you is know? because you can't be bothered with technique when you know 
that, that what you're striving for is already there, is already inherent, is already your own beingness. So you can't be bothered with technique anymore. It just isn't compelling. It's futile. There really is this background of laziness that doesn't want to touch it. You know, because yes. maybe because it's, I don't know if I never believed in it or what. But never believed in. In, in all the techniques. Mm-hmm. I always felt the need to change. I always wanted to fix myself. Yeah. But I didn't like doing it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So now I'm, you know, it's like, it goes this way. Like, if I walk into the kitchen and I want to do some dishes, that's when the dishes will get done. Yes. But I simply won't go in there like it's my duty to go in the kitchen and do dishes. So you can imagine how my house is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'd much rather have the taste of this, but I don't want to make it like an indulgence, like I'm using this to, you know, just be. And you don't want to make it a project. You don't want to strain in any way in this regard. You know, in, in this spiritual pursuit realm, just check that off the list. The true recognition is that there's really nothing to do. And all the great ones have said that, but no one believes them. I was just thinking there's like no strain, no gain. But the thing is that there is, there's nothing to gain. In this realm, yeah. in certain realms, if you want to build up your body or, or, you know, learn to play the piano or become a brain surgeon or something, you're going to have to be very, very diligent. And you're probably going to have to strain. You're going to have to study hard and work hard and, and so on. But in this domain, this is done. This is fine. This is already fine. This recognition, which I know is very close to you, is really finally about love. It's the love of existence. It's the deep love of just being, of existence itself. And it's so clear to me, with my brother just having died, how it is really the only game in town. It's really all that matters. And so whether you do the dishes or don't do the dishes or manifest your great creative potential or whatever, or not, all of that is significant on a certain, certain level. But the real game... The real important thing happening here is this, is this love that we are, is this deep, true love that we are in this very simple presence. It's, it's the love of existence manifesting itself. It's existence manifested, you know, you. And wow, what a, an incredible work of art. And you start to see that. You start to feel it in yourself and you start to see it in everyone around you and everything. You know, it's like you were saying. <laughs> You're speaking to me. Right there. All that stuff, everything I just talked about felt like just such a... Oh, I don't know, just little thing, you know, <laughs> I could just sense that, the, the, the bigness of being. Of, yes, yes. You use the word largesse. Yes, yes, yes. I like that. I'm done. I think you're done for everything. You're done for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you said that you, because this is my first meeting, yeah. So you said that you've said many times you don't have to purify the contents of your mind for what? Good question. Very good question. So often in spiritual uh, traditions and trainings, people either get the notion or it's taught that if you do certain practices, you will eliminate certain negative tendencies of mind. They will simply cease to arise. So people will practice and practice and strain and go off on long retreats and note 
thousands and thousands of uh, motions of mind and body. And still, these depraved thoughts will arise. And still, jealousy will arise. And anger and even hatred will arise. You see? And they'll feel like a terrible spiritual failure. And they'll either blame it on themselves, usually on themselves, or they blame it on the technique or the practice or the teacher. Because they're, they're laboring under this notion that if you do something with your mind, you will somehow figure out a way to purify it, whatever that means to you. People have these very naive ideas that you go along on a spiritual path, and after a while, you only think the loveliest of thoughts. You only think, if you ever think at all, <laughs> you think only nice, sweetsy thoughts, loving, altruistic thoughts. People have these notions, and they, they judge from this idealistic, idealized version of mind. They judge their mind in comparison, and usually it's, it's greatly lacking. But this is not at all necessary. You do not have to purify the content of your mind. It doesn't matter what your mind is throwing up. It may never, it may ne- the content of your mind may never change all that much. I mean, it will be different thoughts all the time, but it may have a certain familiarity. And that doesn't matter at all. What I'm speaking about is not affected by whatever stream of thought is going through it. It's just blah, 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 blah. Who cares what it is? But when you recognize what I'm speaking about, it's not necessary to achieve any kind of enlightenment or whatever you want to label. Yes, well, I'm speaking, about the, I'm speaking about an awakened awareness. Let's not call it enlightenment. That word is too loaded, and I don't even know what it means. But awakened awareness that accommodates anything that arises and notices that nothing that arises actually sticks. So then in that case, it doesn't matter what arises doesn't matter what kind of thought arises. It just arises and leaves. It does. They all do. They go so fast. It's only your interest in any given particular content of mind that will call more thoughts that are similar to it. May I suggest that you just um, have this as a direct transmission? Because... As nice as it is to read things later, the real effect will be in your grokking this immediately, in the immediacy of this moment together. And then it won't matter what the words are that we said. Around my teacher, it was almost like this strange phenomenon would happen. He would speak. And you would completely be, your mind would just be blown away. I mean, I hate to use the old cliche, but it, it would just be shattered by it. And you would go into this profound depth of quiet. But then later you'd listen to the tape, and it wasn't in the words. Or you'd see it in transcript. And you, you couldn't find, you couldn't figure out how in the world. Because it was the transmission So what I'm pointing to is not something that you have to find. It's something you're familiar with. You may have been overlooking it, but you're very familiar with it. It's very near. It's nearer than anything else. It's the pure experience of being, of presence. It's your greatest gift. It's your fountain of love. And it's really all that matters. Our minds are telling us that a lot of other things matter, and this is all that actually matters, in my view. So just recognize it. One second of recognition is fine. As I like to say, it will haunt you. 
It haunts you. It keeps calling your intention. Like, a, like falling in love does. You know, when you're starting to fall in love with someone, and pretty soon you can't think of anything else. This is like that. It's a falling in love where you're so drenched in the experience of it that though other things are occurring, they just cannot sweep your attention away. I have just, in these last six or seven weeks, gone through the biggest loss of my life, like losing a son. My brother was like my son. And what has been most profound in this experience, along with this very intense grief, I mean, just a grief I never knew could be. I had I'd often seen people, and I've known people through the work that I do and just through life, people who've lost a child, and that it's a kind of sorrow I could have never imagined. But now, of course, I certainly can. And yet, I can tell you, this most unimaginable loss and grief is occurring in this incredible vastness of love and freedom and presence. And that is, that is getting louder and louder. <laughs> and the two coexist. And the two coexist, exactly. Um, I have not been having a particularly productive time, and I've been having a particularly enjoyable time. <laughs> and um, I sometimes wonder where all of this enjoyment is actually going to go, you know, where I'm going to land up. Um, because I can find myself just hanging out and spending a lot of time really not really doing anything. Like, I've just got a new dog, as you know, that I happen to love a lot. And I'll get up in the morning and I just want to be in the dog basket. And, and really, it's, you know, a lot of staring. Um, you know, we've just moved into a house where so there's a beautiful view. And so I stare a lot at the view. And a lot of time can go by just staring at the view. And I've been saying to myself, well, it's a beautiful view. And that's what is encouraging the staring that's not informed with any activity of mine, but it's just a really kind of enjoyable staring. And then I was away this week and in a hotel room that was overlooking not a particularly nice street and the weather was bad. And I was staring again, you know, it was just the staring. And there is a necessity to become productive and not a natural arising to become productive and I sometimes just wonder like how slow it's going to get and <laughs> you know and like where it's going you know what I mean um they they, they can sometimes be a slight anxiety around that you know um yeah. because the inclination is to just stop and stare and there's so much to get involved in and then there's the need as well to to be productive, apparently. And the need to be productive has to do with making money? Yeah, to do with making money and, you know, necessities of living yes. in, a, in a city and, you know, being a Western. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that um, I was talking to, to, to people this week about stopping. And stopping is something that I find that is so easy for me. Yes. And I know that it's kind of difficult for a lot of people. But I realized that I'm just wondering the extent to which you have to balance the stopping with the activity. And well, when, when it's out of balance in any direction, it will become uncomfortable. But it's not at all uncomfortable. Then enjoy. <laughs> but what about necessity? I mean, what about... Well, I'm hearing, you, I'm hearing several different points. And it also sort of segues into one of my favorite topics, which has to do with contentment. And the, the way that in our culture, contentment gets such short shrift, you almost never hear the word. It's not something that's encouraged as a form of happiness. And it's, I would say, the most you know, consistent form of happiness is deep contentment. 
So what you're describing is a lot of contentment with some flashes or moments that are agitated and are probably saying, I need to make some money to pay for this new house. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I'm not even self-agitating, if that's a word. It's, it's an agitation that's being imposed on me by, you know, what is necessary. I yes, mean, so those thought, a, thoughts are arising that have to do with what you perceive as a necessity to continue to maintain things. Right. And that, those thoughts will move you into action as needed. But don't worry, please don't worry, that your general mode is content and is happy to be still and is just enjoying looking at the, the rain or the blue sky or the dog. That's an incredible form of happiness. It's exactly what I'm speaking about. It's a love of just being and of existing. This precious life, as you know, which can just, just end at any minute. No, I know that that's going on. Yes. This, this, has, this is the fruition of all of these years of steeping. And, I, and I'm aware of that. And you use the word hanging out. And... I mean, I'm just, you know, there's been so much hanging out. It's just hanging out and hanging out. and <laughs> Sounds good. It <laughs> sounds good. And, and you will, you know, you're, you're highly creative. You will, you will do what you have to do when it's the time. That motion will move in you. And, you know, there's a quote from some writer, philosopher, Thomas Carlyle, Silence, silence is the element in which great things fashion themselves. You know, and this stillness that you're speaking about, and I would call it a deep contentment, is a very fertile ground for any expression. If it's expression that you're interested in, it's, it's the best. It's the best, the most beautiful point to come from. So really enjoy... Enjoy the recognition that you have and that you know that there's a, there's a deep ease in simple pleasure. Hi, Catherine. Hi, dear. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. It's really interesting because it brings up a question, which is, in this place of awakened awareness... Do you need discipline or rigor? And the reason I ask that is because so far in my path through life, I have had to spend time rigorously curtailing types of behavior that don't really serve me. There's an awareness of that. So it's kind of fascinating to me to hear, oh, it can just drop away and you can just be... Yeah, the, the awareness the awareness is like, sometimes I liken it to like a, being a great, powerful light that just sort of burns up the dross that arises in it on its own. You know, that certain habits that don't serve you anymore and that you know are painful and are just going to lead to trouble, you know, they arise and in this powerful light, they, they're like shadows that are just gone, Right? So it's more and more like that. It's nothing you have to get rid of, or you don't have to think about rigor and discipline or anything like that. Just let the naturalness of the light of your awareness prevail. Relax in it. It will see and respond appropriately. You don't have to even have any... You don't have to have any plan, any strategy at all. You don't have to know anything. You just let it guide you. I guess my experience is it speaks in a different voice. It does. And because it's new, sometimes I ignore it. Yes. But it'll speak louder. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sure. That process goes on. You know, it's not like there's some big landing in so-called awakened awareness and one never again forgets. That process goes on. Yes, I remember you saying there's no graduation day. (laughs) Yes, that's true. I forgot, but yes, it's true. I agree with myself. (laughs) 
Hello, Catherine. Speaking of um, fear of public speaking, I thought I mastered this at school. And for the last four weeks, I truly have been terrified by doing this. Uh, so I'm facing my fear at this moment and actually uh, doing it. <laughs> <laughs> last four years have been extremely hard for me. Just difficult. Many, many heartaches, losses, anger, a lot of stuff. I mean, just losing our house, having to sell it, and just about everything in it. Uh, my jobs that I had. Most recently, I even lost a friendship with a, with a woman that I really fell in love with. Uh, in fact, she's the person who told me about you, actually. And I think it had to do with how I feel about myself. I'm 34 years old. I, I never had a relationship. Okay, it is due to my certain beliefs, these self-limiting beliefs yes. and inferior, inferiority complex and so on. Um, nothing just major, you know, wrong with me. It's just chatters in my head that's yes. doing this. And yes. uh, truly, I think I lost that part of me that used to be so calm and centered and balanced. I, you know, after four years of these losses and heartaches and traumas, I... I don't think I got that back yet. I, you know, I feel not only unhappy about what happened and not being able to fully accept them, but also I know for the last several weeks, one of the things that I learned from you is that there's that part of us that are untouched, no matter how much losses, loss you've had. And is that your experience? Uh, say that again. Is it your experience that there's that part of you that is untouched? There's an awareness that is um, untouched by the loss. It has been a challenge for me ever since I got exposed to that idea by listening to you. How about right now? Let's see if we can find it. Right this moment. Yes. Well, I've been meditating for many years, but I... No, don't go anywhere else but now. Okay. Don't go into the past. Right now. Do you sense just a simple basic awareness through which your thoughts are rolling, like these nightmare thoughts you're having that are about the past, the old bones in the graveyard. Do you sense this, this bright awareness very effortlessly? You don't have to look for it. You're hearing my words through it, and your thoughts are rolling through it as well. But do you sense it? Is that what you meant by present awareness? Yes, you could call it that. All of these words are going to fall away in the direct experience. You don't need any label for it whatsoever. And all the labels are limiting. The nature of language is limiting. When you say a word, you, you immediately call into context its opposite. If you say present, you, you'll be, there's, a, there's an implied unpre, unpresent. If you say awareness, there's an implied, an implied unawareness. My teacher once said this great thing. He said, think of one without even the concept of two. Think of one with no concept of two. And then he said, now drop the concept of one. Where does that leave you? I, one thing... Um, that makes me think of is something along the lines of we're all actually one and there's no such a thing as me. It's more about we. I don't know. This is, these are things that I... <laughs> yes, some thoughts coming through. But let's go back to this, this, this untouched, unstained, undamaged presence right now. Nowhere to look for it. Nothing to do to get it. You just notice, nothing to it, nothing to it to notice. Notice this, and these nightmare stories that you've been telling, 
Where are they now? In the past? Yes. Even the past is just a story. The story of the past. One of the things that came up after losing this woman friend. Okay, now you're going again to the past. Just stay with this. I want you to get a good soaking. <laughs> I want you to get a good soaking. Your mind is flitting and you're, you're grabbing onto these thoughts to tell because it's an old habit. Yes. Right? And it's exactly that habit that is leading you down these dark alleys. It's exactly that habit. And now you're going to try to reframe it in a new way. But forget that. Just for this moment, that's all. Just for tonight. You can go back to thinking about your nightmare later. <laughs> I'm used to it. Used to that. Yes, but now get used to something else. Get used to this recognition of this which has never been written on. It's completely fresh and innocent, unstained, undamaged. Really sense it. Really sense it. Does it mean to get into my feeling side of me? Is that kind of resting? Your feeling side of you is inevitable. You are a sensing creature. Just tell, stop telling any story about anything you're supposed to be doing. Feeling will be happening on its own. Don't try anything. Just relax. Walk in this world as a lion. When you sit in this that I'm speaking about, you walk in this world as a lion. And you're not measuring things about, you're not counting up the losses and the gains any longer. So you stay with that. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com or on iTunes, Spotify, and other platforms. We'd be very grateful for a review, and we're also very grateful for any donations. You can help us out in either of these ways or both. In the U.S., the donations are tax deductible. And lastly, I wanted to remind our friends in the Victoria area that we're having Dharma Dialogues on the Mornington Peninsula on the last Sundays of October and November of 2022. Till next time.